That sounds like a personal problem, dude. Okay, well, sorry I'm not uh, inclined on what's going on in my own neighborhood. That's not the right word for that, but whatever. Yeah, it's not the right word. <laughs> this is going to be a fun show. Boy, it always is. I'm just waking up. Here we go. No, no, I'm not defeated. I've never faced anyone, so, you know, I, uh, oh and oh, that's undefeated. Oh and oh, there you go, I'll take it. Uh, what's up, man? How's it going? I'm good, dude. You? Uh, I'm just waking up, and I'm struggling with my words, as we've heard already in the show, so it's going to be you're, a fun show. You're hanging in there. You sound like you got it. Uh, I think we'll be okay. We'll make it work. Uh, but you specifically said, hey, man, there was a big New Japan thing that happened and i was like oh it was a thing it was a thing it was a thing it's a thing just like the geekiverse it's a thing and uh you said we should probably talk about it and i was like you know what we should and i need to watch what happened at this thing and then we can talk about it so now that i'm caught up on the new japan pro wrestling g1 special in long beach california let's talk about it man let's uh we're gonna go where do you want to start? Well, let's go through the big matches. We, we talked before we got on the air about, you know, there are a lot of good matches on the show, but they didn't really, uh, they didn't have any, I don't want to say they didn't have meaning because they're all great matches. They all mean something to some extent, but uh, there were a lot of matches that had a, a bigger focus. Let's say that. So right. this was the United States title tournament. That That's was, right. That was the big thing for this show. Brand new, uh, brand new championship. Brand new championship. They're going to crown someone. If you've probably seen this, you you guys know who won. But oh, know, they already they already crowned him. Yeah, we're building suspense here. Someone has been crowned. Someone has been crowned. Uh, I keep thinking of uh, man, who is that coach for the Cardinals? Just run a crown him, crown him. The Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, Dennis. I think it's Dennis Smith. Uh, I, I, the only Cardinals coach I can really remember vividly is the uh, they are who we thought they were. What was his name? Green, I think. Dennis Green. There you go. Okay. We tag. That's the same. That's the same. Speech. We're, we're thinking of the same guy. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's the I, same. I, I, I couldn't remember his name. I, his first name. I mean, I, Dennis Green. I think we tag teamed it. And we got it. Uh, so let's start with the U.S. title tournament here. Uh, we're just going to kind of go through the matches as they happened. The first one. Wh- oop, I'm on day two. There were two days. <laughs> I almost, I almost set this up perfectly, put it on a tee, and then swung and missed. But I, I fixed it, guys. I fixed it. Jay Lethal, Hangman Page, was the first match on the card for the United States Tournament. Uh, what did you think of this match? I liked it. It was a good match. Um, I've always loved Jay Lethal's in-ring work. Um, I think he's a very, very underrated wrestler. I I used to watch him during some of his earliest days in TNA. So I remember you know, I remember his X Division matches. I remember his uh, impersonation gimmick, impersonating Macho Man and Ric Flair. Um, but I, I've always loved him. I think he's a great talent. He's good on the mic. Um, got a great look now. He's definitely beefed up, I feel, like the last few years. So he's, he's you know bigger muscle, bigger build. But, no, I thought this was a great match, and Hangman Page looked really good, too. There were a lot of people who um, theorized that Hangman Page was going to go really far in this tournament, so I think that that took some fans by surprise that he got bounced in the first round like that. 
yeah, I was kind of shocked that they didn't give more play to Hangman Page strictly because Jay Lethal, he just came off that he didn't just come off it, but he was the ROH champion for what seemed like forever. Yeah, he had a long run with that. Yeah, it was like some 400-something days, something crazy. It was over a year, and they kind of cooled off in, on a bit to give other people a chance to step up, and you know, then suddenly he's beating Hangman Page. I was shocked that, not, you know, over overshocked, but I like you said, I thought Hangman Page would be one of those guys they kind of give more play to. Um, I don't watch New Japan or ROH that religiously compared to WWE, but I know that Hangman Page is kind of, uh, I don't want to say like the third wheel of the Bullet Club, but he's not obviously featured as much as, you know, uh, Marty Skrull, the Young Bucks, or Kenny Omega. So, yeah, I thought Hangman Page would take it here, and I was wrong. But the match itself was pretty good. I'll tell you what, there are some real surprises in this opening round. So I mean that was hardly the um, the end of the upsets if you could if you would call them that. Yeah, the uh, the one thing I wrote on this for Lethal and Page was that the timing was off a little bit in some of this, and I don't know if that's because they didn't work together that much or maybe I don't know I don't know. But for me, maybe it's because of what I saw in the first match with uh, the Briscoes and Rocky Romero and Osprey and the Young Bucks. Their whole spiel is like high spots and timing. So I saw that. And I was like, okay, this this show is going to be amazing. And then I get to there, and it's like he hit the uh, the springboard cutter a little bit off. Hangman Page is off with a little bit of his moves. But that being said, I'm probably being nitpicky because it seems like in WWE they never have their stuff together. Right. So, yeah, it was a great match. Jay Lethal moving on there. After that, Zack Sabre Jr. and Juice Robinson. Um, I can't even remember Juice Robinson's WWE name, but, man, they messed up when they let that guy go. C.J. Parker. Uh, yeah, he's he's a very, very good talent for New Japan. I think he's eventually going to get a huge push from them because it seems like he's very, very over um, both in Japan and with overseas fans. This match was I, – I, I knew Zack Sabre Jr. was good. He was obviously in the Cruiserweight Classic, and that's probably the one time I saw him beforehand. Uh, and then I started watching some of his matches in Britain and New Japan. And I think he's been in ROH a few times. But, man, these two, uh, these were, these, I didn't expect as much as I got, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And I, I was pleasantly surprised at how fantastic these guys both were. When, C, when Juice Robinson was in NXT as C.J. Parker, they didn't give him anything. No. And it just makes me wonder, like, what did you guys miss out on? This guy's amazing. Yeah, his run was utterly forgettable over there. I, I, honestly, I don't know if I watched um, a single match live. The only time I would have ever watched it was just going back and watching some highlights, um, especially once I got a little more familiar with him in New Japan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you talk about a waste of talent on WWE's part. You're looking at him. Uh, the one thing I know Juice Robinson at, uh, for in NXT as CJ Parker, it was Kevin Owens' debut match. Really? <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I don't think I realize that. And I always remember that because uh, Juice Robinson slash CJ Parker hit a forearm or a palm strike or, you know, he went straight up the nose of Kevin Owens, broke his nose. And that's, you know, Owens, of course, finished the match and got all bloody and just wiped it on his shirt and then hit the pop-up powerbomb. And that was the debut of Kevin Owens. But other than that, I think he was released or let go. It was a mutual thing. He asked for it. They gave it to him. But 
Yeah, Zach Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson. The one thing I wrote about this was the submissions. Oh, my gosh. Zach Sabre Jr. is a magician with the submissions. If that's not his new slogan, I don't know what he's doing with his life because he does phenomenal work with submissions. This might be – okay, this, this isn't a might be. This is absolutely an unpopular opinion. I don't quite understand – the sheer hype around Zack Sabre Jr. Let me let me let me uh, quantify that real quick. <laughs> he is he is great in the ring. He is obviously very very talented. Um, fantastic grappling in there. Uh, great technical skill. I don't understand though how that necessarily translates to three years in a row best technical wrestler in Wrestling Observer newsletter. Um, I just feel like, and maybe this is from having a very limited um, viewing of him. I haven't watched too many matches of his outside New Japan. I just don't see the sheer hype around him when it kind of felt like he had, or at least showed off, a limited arsenal of moves in there. I don't know, man. I just feel like if I'm gonna wa- if I'm gonna be entertained consistently by repeated grappling attempts and submission attempts, I would just watch a Jiu-Jitsu tournament or like Metamorphosis or something like that. For you, it's almost as if the hype does not match what you're getting out of him. Yes, and like again, he is not a bad talent in any way, shape, or form. He's a great wrestler. I enjoyed the match plenty, and I enjoyed his later match with Tomohiro Ishii. Um, I just don't see where this like like he's lauded. Like he is absolutely lauded as like a second coming of Daniel Bryan almost, wow. and I just don't see the sheer entertainment value in that. Maybe I have to watch a little bit more of him. I don't know. See, I didn't. I guess I didn't know the hype, so maybe that's why I don't have uh, as as down of an opinion of him. Uh, I knew mm-hmm. he was good. I've heard things about him, but I didn't know he was rated the best technical wrestler for the past three years. Yep, uh, he'll probably get it for a fourth year. Yeah, I, his technical stuff is great. Like you said, uh, I don't know if he's the best technical wrestler, but he's yeah. he's darn good. Uh, the one move he did where he like. He almost did a Black Widow that AJ Lee used to do, but then he like brought the other arm around, and it was like a yes. reverse weird chicken wing full on. Oh my gosh! I think that may have been what Juice Robinson tapped out to then. Yes, yes, that was it. And, and and yeah, there. I mean, there you go. I mean, obviously, amazing submissions, great technical work. I just don't necessarily see how you can have match after match where that is his primary offense. And that is consistently entertaining. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I got to see more of him. I'll give you that. Daniel Bryan had uh, more of a WWE style where he could do the technical stuff, but then the next thing you know, he's also flying out of the ring doing crazy, like you know, flying headbutts and stuff. So right. Well, he would do strikes. He would do grapples, high flying stuff. Whereas it seems Zack Saber Jr. is submissions and all kicks. Yeah, and not super kicks, just you know, normal kicks. Yeah, he does the. Uh, I don't know what to call it, the punt very well. but like, Yeah, European uppercut. There you go, yeah. But it's still, like you said, it is one of the few things in his arsenal. So, eh. I, I think that might be more the British style influencing him. Um, actually, going going back to one of our favorite guests on the Geekiverse, Dan Joseph. Yes. <laughs> you know, over there they have World of Sport, which is kind of like a mix of pro wrestling and, you know, traditional mixed martial arts. Yeah. Hmm. There's more of that, like technical grappling plays a little bit more into the pro wrestling scene over there than, you know, like your American WWE style would or even your Japanese pro wrestling style. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe that's what they're doing. I know the 
the young guys in the UK tournament, or not the UK tournament, the WWE UK, well, I guess it is the UK tournament, but they've kind of got a good mix of that. They did a, they do a lot more grappling, but they also do, obviously, if you watched uh, Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne, they do high-flying stuff. They've got big spots, too. So uh, maybe that's just what he's lacking at this point. I don't know. But uh, Zack Sabre Jr. moved on. Like you said, he tapped or he got Juice Robinson to submit to some weird configured chicken wing craziness and it was amazing yeah i honestly have no idea what that was <laughs> that's i guess maybe that's the other problem i don't know what he's doing as far <laughs> as submissions half the time it's like i can see that it hurts but i don't know what to call it so it was a good match zach sabers jr moves on uh as far as the u.s tournament ishii and naito i'm tomo hero ishii yep. and tetsuya nato tetsuya naito Naito, thank you. See? Uh, close so, Yeah, close enough. Who's counting? They're not going to come after me. Uh, obviously, I don't know these guys as well. Uh, so I am going to give you my initial opinion, and then I'm going to let you take the reins here on this one. Uh, yeah. Naito and Ishii, I wrote, physical, holy crap, and... <laughs> <laughs> uh, physical, holy crap, and uh, I didn't know anything about Ishii so I was kind of shocked that he won I know a little bit about Naito uh but yeah that was my my conclusion it was very physical holy crap and did Ishii win question mark those are my thoughts take that's that's about what I was thinking just without putting pen to paper on that um I was definitely surprised by the result because Tetsuya Naito is a huge, huge star in New Japan. Um, Recent long-reigning Intercontinental Champion. Um, I believe he is a former IWGP heavyweight champion. One of the biggest stars, probably the biggest heel over there outside of Omega. Um, So I would have expected him to win this match. Because Tomohiro Ishii, um, though very, very respected, has traditionally been more of a mid-carder. It, it although mid card does have a completely different meaning over in New Japan than say WWE, um, but that yeah the the hard hitting nature of the match that's that's any Tomohiro Ishii match honestly it just it hurts to watch his matches I just feel like you watch that and like you just feel for the guy he's wrestling with because he has such a stiff hard hitting style and that's why I love his matches. He's one of my favorite guys in New Japan right now. He brings it every single match. You can feel his intensity in there. And Tetsuya, uh, Tetsuya Naito more than held his own uh, as far as that physical style. Um, but he also has a little bit more elegance, I would say, to his moves. So there was that. Um, I, I, I'll just say this too. I love Tetsuya Naito. I love his persona. Uh, it takes him forever <laughs> to get down to the ring. He's just He's very deliberate with his entrance i loved when he asked or more so he implied for red shoes the referee to hold the rope for him to come in and when red shoes refused naito turned around and threatened to walk out so i just i love little stuff like that he played around with ishii at one point they were doing an irish whip and instead of pursuing ishii he just ran slid into the middle of the ring and kind of reclined in this real like mocking pose i just i love naito he's such a prick (laughs) <laughs> he's a great heel and that's something that i think uh not to always compare it to wwe but wwe is what i know uh they they don't have that kind of stuff you know what i mean like yeah they don't allow their heels to do stuff like this where they're like you said they're asking the rope to hold or they're asking the ref excuse me to hold the ropes and the ref obviously isn't going to do it 
And that's a great heel moment. Like, he's asking for, like, uh, privilege, and he's not going to get it. And people are going to be upset because when you're asking for more than any other wrestler, uh, you come off, like you said, a prick. So, yeah, I, I thought this match was great. I didn't know too much about either of them going in. And, wow, was I impressed because the physicality, like you said, huh, I great can't match. believe they're alive. <laughs> And the thing about Naito is, you know, the things I just highlighted in regards to him getting over as a heel in this match specifically, that was just with some gestures. From what I understand, his promos are also the thing of legend. Uh, I don't I don't um, speak or I'm very fluent in Japanese. I am slowly learning because I would like to eventually learn it. Um, but so I, so I don't really know. I'm not very familiar with his extensive promos. But from what I understand, for Japanese um, – speaking fans he has some phenomenal mic work too you've got to get the uh the subtitles on i i yeah i could do that, <laughs> do that i don't app? know if, i don't honestly i don't know if there's an option on the new japan world app for that yeah. because they they always just have kevin kelly um or you know jr uh, josh barnett doing the announcing so they don't they don't bother with that for the color commentary I would have to look to see if there's subtitle options. I was gonna say for the promos alone, you would have to have have to have subtitles here because, like, you, yeah, I don't get any of these promos half the time. <laughs> and I don't. Like, eh. I'm gonna say I don't think they do because I know the couple times I've watched um, after the main event, they always let the winner of the match um, do it a long promo to speak to the crowd, which has lately been Okada, and there's there was never any subtitles there for him as he was speaking. So I had no idea what he was saying, but just credit to his um, his energy as a performer, you know, I, I still got you know kind of like an emotional rush from that, even without knowing what he's saying. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's like you said, he's so good. You can tell what he's uh, the gist of it. You know, the words aren't important. Yeah, it's all about the actions, and that's something that lacks a little bit in other wrestling promotions. Uh, so I I definitely appreciate that. Uh, and then the last one for the U.S. tournament on day one was Kenny Omega versus Michael Elgin. Uh, wow. The, Great match. Holy smokes. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know that much about Michael Elgin either. I've seen a few of his matches, uh, I believe in ROH, and he's bigger, and I didn't expect him to move as well as he did. With obviously, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have that look of yeah. high flyer, cruiserweight kind of style. I mean, I don't want to call him like, Kevin Owens esque. I think he's a little bigger and more unathletic looking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with Kenny Omega, obviously, you're going to do great things regardless. But the fact that he kept up with Kenny as far as moving in the ring, I was just so enthralled in this match. I thought this was one of the matches of the night on day one for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at him and it's two completely different um, physiques. And yet they're wrestling almost the same exact way, so that just that just speaks to Michael Elgin's um, versatility for his in, in ring work that he could basically he could basically match a guy who's wrestling a completely different style from him. Yeah. And these two and these two have faced off before in New Japan. They had a tremendous uh, ladder match. I don't know if it was last year or the year before for the Intercontinental Championship during one of their big summer shows. And that's widely regarded as one of the best matches in new Japan on the last few years. So those two have a history. They're familiar with their in-ring work. And you know, that explains how these two can go almost 23 minutes in the opening round of the tournament, and just beat the crap out of each other and put on such a great match. 
Yeah, twenty-two thirty-one was the official time on that one. And in the first round, man, like that's that's main event kind of time right there. Yeah, no kidding. And yeah, the main event, which we'll get to next, twenty-seven minutes. So yeah, they gave them a lot of time. Uh, maybe that's because they were short. Maybe that's just what they deserved. I don't know. I'm not the producer or the booker or whatever. I'm not any of that. I'm just a viewer. <laughs> and uh, it didn't feel like 22 minutes. It it was just so hard hitting. Kenny Omega, I've only seen a few of his matches. Obviously, I watched the five or the six star and the six point two five star and so on and so forth. Uh, but his knees are ridiculous. <laughs> I know. They sound amazing, and I obviously he's slapping his knee or he's slapping his leg because uh, that's just what they do. But at the same time, the way he hits it, I feel like he legit need their head off. And then Elgin's getting up and like, yeah, you know, that hurt, but I'm still here. <laughs> it's like, what? The way that sounded and looked, I feel like you should be crying on the ground because that's what I'm doing. Yeah, and uh, he's in, you know, he's usually known to hit more than uh, just one of those in a match. <laughs> yeah, he usually blasts an opponent with five or six a match. Um, and that's just that and that and then that speaks to Omega's um I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but the fact that he can hit you with that and keep you safe really speaks to his just his knowledge of the move itself. Yeah, I like you said, I don't think that there's too many performers who can do that. No, dude, I'd be I'd be terrified watching ninety-five percent of other wrestlers try that move on someone else. Because I just feel like they would catch him right in the face and basically break their face. And it looks, I mean, Seth Rollins broke John Cena's nose (laughs) Um, on a worse looking knee. That's exactly where I was going with that. Yeah, I mean, the Seth Rollins knee did not look as painful. It just looked like it was mistimed. And Mm -hmm. next thing you know, John Cena's got a broken nose. Kenny Omega does those knees, like you said, five, six times a match. And the dude looks like he should have a broken face. And he's legitimately fine. Yeah. I, I I don't know. This match was amazing. If you watch one match, that might be the one to watch because that was really good. Eh, on day one. <laughs> day two had a lot of good matches too. I do think the main event of day one was the very best. You Okay, you're, let's go there then. Uh, yeah. Okada versus Cody for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Uh, yeah, I, it, like you said, it was great. It was definitely the match of the night before or after Kenny Omega and Elgin. So, yeah, there's so many good things about this. Uh, the one thing I want to point out is the storytelling in this is simply fantastic. Uh, they did the whole towel thing with Omega. and That, that was ca- great, wasn't that? Oh, uh, And it called back to the 6.25 match. That's, uh, uh, that's, that's, I'm, I'm guaranteeing that's some foreshadowing right there. And that's great that they have the foresight to do that early. Uh, right. I'm, I'm, I know WWE does this to some extent, but it's not always as obvious. I feel like they try to do this too much, and then they pick and choose the little things that they want to build upon. Like uh, Enzo and Cass, they're calling back to like these little things that happened way back when, and I have no clue because there's so much crap that already happened. This right. is obvious. This mm-hmm. is obvious that they're calling back to that match and what Cody did with the towel and – Oh, I, I love the match. It was so good. I did not and, know uh, Cody would be able to keep up. Yeah, there there was definitely some um, doubt from other people as to whether Cody could hang with Okada like that. Uh, we, I believe the last time we spoke, we talked about how 
Cody had only wrestled American or North American wrestlers up to this point in Japan. Um, so if there, I, if there was a, you know, a serious language difference, I don't know how much Japanese Cody knows. I know that Okada speaks a little bit of English, but I'm sure it's not too, too much. So if, even if there was a huge language barrier between the two, they did it, you know, it didn't stop them from communicating well in there. There, I wrote six things down for this one. <laughs> so, uh, the crowd was amazing for this match, like absolutely hot. And uh, I was very happy to see that the crowd was behind Okada yes. um, because, you know, you, you bring over a foreign wrestler into American territory, Cody, um, at least among, you know, traditional wrestling fans is going to be a little bit more well-known just due to his time in WWE and, and his um, relationship to Dusty Rhodes, Goldust, etc. Um, but I was, I was very glad to see that the fans knew Okada and that they were behind Okada because, man, that guy is having one of the best title runs ever and he deserves respect from these fans. And I, I don't know if this is true, but uh, Cody had promised to Dave Meltzer that they would be able to sell out a 10,000-person arena was that this special? Do you know? Was that how many people were about there? No, um, they were only in the convention center. So they said it was twenty three hundred both nights. Okay. Um, but from what I understand, the tickets sold out within minutes. This was a hugely successful show, and New Japan wants to come back. So I feel like if they do come back, especially in California, they can go to the Forum in Los Angeles, which is a ten thousand seat arena, and I wouldn't be surprised if they sell that out next year, especially after another year of build up and another year of exposure um, to North American audiences. And yeah, I mean they're they're expanding the Bullet Club alone into like Hot Topic. Obviously, that was something that uh, uh, the Young Bucks talked about during their match. I right. believe they lost, and one I think it was Matt turns to the camera and he goes, "We can't lose. We're in hot topic." It's like, <laughs> oh, that's so good, such great humor. Uh, but yeah, the Cody versus Okada match. The things I wrote down: crowd is hot, which was awesome, and I didn't mean like attractive. They're just you know pumped up. Maybe I'm attractive. I don't know. Probably some cute girls. <laughs> I'm getting weird. Uh, the DDT. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when I wake up. Uh, the DDT, I can't remember which one it was specifically, but I, uh, there was one DDT that the selling was so good, and I just had to write it down. There was a fantastic DDT moment. and we was, see, Nope, go ahead. Was it the one that Okada did to Cody on the outside? Yes, thank you. Yes. yes. I remember my jaw dropped, you know, genuinely dropped when I watched that. Yes, that was the one. Thank you so much. So that one was what I was shocked because we see a lot of DDTs nowadays, but when they stand out, it's like, okay, you did it right there. I appreciate you. Uh, the counters. Holy crap. The counters were fantastic. Like you said, like had been, we discussed, I did not think Cody could do that much with someone he hadn't worked with before, but these guys were just so quick hitting with the counters. I loved every second of it. It was fantastic. Uh, I agree. Yeah. What else did I write? Okada, when he pulled off the crossroads, I was like, okay, that's right. a, that's a heel moment. And in addition to that, Cody pulling off the rainmaker, yes. they both use their moves on each other. And then eventually Cody goes for a one winged angel yes. as he's staring down Omega. Just really, really great moments between those three uh, specifically. And like, we don't see that in other matches. I, that's so much storytelling in like three moves and it's ridiculous. You don't you don't see that very much in any other promotion or any other wrestling match. Maybe I'm just not watching enough wrestling, but at least I don't see that very often. 
Cody Rhodes went for the finisher of the leader of the Bullet Club, which he's a part of. You know how much drama and like controversy that should stir up? I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. I love that, it. That had some meaning. Uh, and then the Bullet Club interference with the towel. I wrote that down, obviously. And then simply the last thing, the storytelling. It was just so good. The way they told this story and ended it on such a high note for day one. I, I thought, like you said, probably the match of the night. Uh, I want to give it to Omega and Elgin, but like they, they stole the show. And they should have. Yeah. They are the main event for the reason. I really like that Okada played a little bit more to the crowd here than he usually does in Japan. And he had a bit of an edge to him in this match. You know, he is, you know, he's babyface. Um, but he had a couple moments where he got, he, you know, he got a little cocky with Cody. Like one point, um, there was a clean break along the ropes. And as they were being separated, he patted Cody on the chest, kind of like, like an older brother would to his younger brother, real belittlingly, like, you know, okay, yeah, you got this little guy, you're doing good. Yeah. And, um, then another point where Cody was in kind of, kind of like a fetal position near the corner and Okada just starts stomping a mud hole in him and eventually wipes his foot along Cody's head just in a very, very obvious mocking way. And of course he's doing this all while smiling at the crowd. The crowd loves it. So just, I loved that Okada played at the crowd like that. And then conversely, Cody played to the crowd with a heel style when he takes the towel from Omega and as he's staring down Omega, he wipes his ch- he wipes his chest with it, wipes the sweat off, and then eventually wipes his butt with it. Oh, it's so good. As he's looking at as he's looking at Omega, and so I mean that that's that's twofold there because for one thing he's trying to stick it to him he's trying to stick it to the guys who are contemplating throwing in the towel for him and costing him the match, and at the same time he's riling up the crowd because you know that that crowd is absolutely hot for Kenny Omega doesn't matter that Kenny Omega is a heel. Kenny Omega is probably the most over guy there among the fans. And you've got Cody, the heel in this match, pissing off the fans by, you know, basically disparaging that popular heel. And, and there's so many different emotions that I feel like. Great psychology. Yeah. Absolutely great psychology by both of these guys. And I feel like I shouldn't be having those emotions. And that's when I love wrestling is when they make me feel something that I didn't know I was supposed to feel. Like, that's storytelling. <laughs> and when it's too painfully obvious, uh, it can get boring and uh, mundane. And I'm just watching for the moves to make sure that they're clean. And th- that wasn't here. The-, the emotion was great. I don't know a lot about Okada, uh, aside from the few matches I've seen. But like, like you said, with the great uh, semi-heel moments <laughs> where he's playing to the crowd... Like, all right, I get a sense of what this guy can do. I get the sense that he's uh, one of the best in the world, and he's proven it right now. And, yeah, this match, uh, I could go on and on. Okada has just been amazing this year alone, and that's not even including um, the title, his portion of the title run, his current title run that was in 2016 and any of his previous. He In this year alone, he's wrestled Omega twice, uh, Minoru Suzuki, Bad Luck Fale, Katsuyori Shibata, and now Cody – all guys who have vastly different styles. These are five guys with basically five different styles of wrestling. And Okada has looked fantastic in every single match, and every single match has looked has been great. That just speaks to Okada's, you know, literally peerless ability that he can have f- five matches, five different guys, five vastly different styles of wrestling, and he never looks out of place in a single one. I was gonna say wrestling bad luck Fale, that would be insane. 
I want to see that match now because that, though, like you said, two very different styles. That dude is huge, and the, if he could even get him up, I would be surprised. <laughs> but he did in a later match, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. It was just it's it's incredible what he's doing, and the kid's only twenty nine. He's not even thirty yet. Whoa! As, as, as yeah, as New Japan continues to grow, it, you know this kid is going to be the face of their company, no doubt. Quick sidebar: He was at WWE Raw. He was in Phoenix. Do you think there's any chance he's going there, or is he just saying what's up to some not friends? No, not a chance. Right. He he's very dedicated to New Japan. Uh, yeah, I, that's everything I've read about him is that he wants to stay. He makes decent enough money. Uh, obviously, he doesn't have the same uh, uh, pizzazz as like a Nakamura. I want to say yet. Yeah, he, he doesn't quite have the persona. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, yeah, yeah, he might get there someday, but like Nakamura's in a world of his own, and we'll see. I would love from to see I, Okada in WWE someday. From what I understand, any time that Okada has come to America, he's always stopped at one of the WWE shows. Like this is nothing new. Gotcha. Right. He's got friends over there, especially uh, just uh, Nakamura for one. On top of AJ, Carl um, Anderson, and Luke Gallows. That's right. I forgot half uh, these guys in WWE. Yeah, Finn Balor. So I mean, he's got he's got a lot of uh, friends working over there. So I'm not surprised at all that he would stop and go see them. He's a, the guy's a fan of wrestling. He's talked about John Cena in the past. I know he's watched um, plenty of John Cena matches. So I I don't I wouldn't read into it too much that he stopped at a show. It, the guy's a fan of pro wrestling. He 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 appreciates the business no matter what uh, promotion it is. And you and I are fans of wrestling who appreciate the yeah. business. For what it is, regardless of promotion, because look at us go. We're talking New Japan. That was the end of day one. See how I did that? That was just such a great transition. That's why they call me the Money Pop. I I still don't call you that. Okay, well, you and I. I just call you Brony. <laughs> that's why you and I are not friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why we're skyping and we're not doing this in person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. That's the exact reason we can't be in the same room <laughs> at the same time because we hate each other. Uh, day two. There was a lot of solid matches as well. Uh, we're going to keep to the U.S. title tournament here, and then we're going to focus on one other tag team match that was pretty epic, and then we'll go from there. But uh, day two, Kenny Omega versus Jay Lethal. Uh, this match was amazing as well. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I wish they would have had more time. I understand why they couldn't give them more time, right. but I wish they would have had more time because I feel like these guys – are some of the cleanest workers uh, when it comes to doing big spots, but making it work and making it make sense and keeping it safe for everyone. But I, I have no real complaints. I thought the psychology was great with Omega targeting Jay Lethal's rib cage with the, uh, the padded up tape that he had there. And Kenny Omega comes out on top. Yeah. I, I would love to see what these two could do with a 20, 30 minute match. Um, just because, I mean, these guys in under 13 minutes gave a very good match, but I mean, God, they deserve more time. I'd love to see what they could do with more. The, the one spot that I called out here and <laughs> I want to know if WWE stole this because it reminded me of what's happened on Monday night raw with Braun Strowman and Apollo Cruz. Uh, it was different, but it kind of felt the same. So, uh, Jay Lethal was going for a springboard cutter and then, Omega did like a code breaker on the back of his neck. And I was like, all right, it's a jumping 
counter in the middle of the move. And yeah. then Braun Strowman kind of did the same thing on Monday when Apollo was going for that backflip. He just kicked him in the okay. middle of it. I don't know. I might be drawing conclusions that aren't I, there. I didn't watch much of Raw, so I don't know what happened between Braun and Apollo, but I know exactly what spot you're talking about between Omega and Lethal. And yeah, I as I sat there and watched it, I asked myself, how 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 did he not just paralyze Jay Lethal? Because <laughs> that looked fantastic on the back of his neck. Like how yeah. how is that a thing? My neck hurts just like waking up in the morning, and this guy is doing that to in a what in a wrestling match? Like I can't. Uh... Very very good looking spot. Uh, so this match was fantastic. I think. Uh, like the psychology with Jay Lethal's rib cage was fantastic. Uh, I also wrote the forceful one winged angel. Um, I love it when there's moves where you have to get someone up on your shoulders and they're elbowing, they're punching, they're kicking, and then you still just like power through the move. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. It, um, the the one winged angel that Omega landed on Lethal here definitely looked. It, it wasn't as clean as it as he normally does it, but as a result, it looked a little stiffer and a little more painful. I know what you mean. Yeah, and I love it when they. It doesn't look like it's a staged finish, yeah. if that makes sense. It, it's and, definitely a lot more believable. There you when go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that and a fantastic match there. So uh, Kenny Omega beats Lethal. He's moving on to the final, and then we have. Ishii, Tomohiro Ishii. I'm going to get that first name in there because I can pronounce it and I feel cool. Uh, he took on Zack Sabre Jr. Once again, I mean, just a, a great match. I thought yeah. this was fantastic as well. Yeah, I really, I, I think I like this one a lot more than Zack Sabre's first match. Um, you know, tension is a word you usually don't throw around in pro wrestling uh, anymore, knowing that it's scripted. But when Zack Sabre Jr., Tomohiro Ishii in that submission that was basically a cross between a bow and arrow, um, a crippler cross face, and some other manner of submission. And as they were fighting toward the ropes, I literally did not know whether or not Ishii was going to get to the rope and break it or tap out. That's one. This is one of the very few times in the last few years that I've legitimately been unsure and tense about the possible finish to a match. And that's once again, just a credit to these guys because, uh, I, like we discussed earlier, Sabre Jr. isn't restricted by any means, but it kind of feels like he's got his certain moves, and that's what he does. And in this one, like right from the beginning, there, he's trying to uppercut him and yeah. so that he can you know, do the strong style just as good as him, and Ishii's just not having any of it. And then he knocks him out cold. Oh, it was so good. I love that. That was I, I thought that was a very great uh, wrinkle to the match, definitely. Saber trying, <laughs> Saber trying to step outside his comfort zone, you know, prove that he can hang with Ishii's style, and he, he it just blows up in his face. Yeah, it, it didn't work any any time that he tried it, but that's great ring psychology. That's great yes. storytelling, and uh, I, that's the one big theme I have for this special overall is the storytelling was so good, and I think they did the right thing by putting uh, Ishii over. And maybe it was a foregone conclusion because you had to have like a New Japan guy, quote unquote, taking on an American guy. Uh, but yeah, this match was just so good the way they told it. They tried, like you said, Saber tried to step up and go with, uh, "I'm powerful too," and Ishii's like, "No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not, dude. Look at me. I'm gonna chop you to death, and you're just gonna you're just gonna have to suck it up." So I thought this match was great. Uh, 
it was solid, just solid match overall. Agreed. Uh, the one tag team match that we wanted to talk about. Definitely. Uh, the Young Bucks and Rapungi Vice. This was for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships of the World. That's my best impression. Uh, this was uh, a lot of great moments for different reasons. Uh, the one that I want to bring up is the Melter Driver from the <laughs> ring to the bottom. Uh, do you know the backstory with this one? I don't actually. You're going to have to explain that one for me. Okay. So uh, it's called the Melter Driver. I don't know when they started doing this. It's like a, how's the best way to describe it? It's like a tombstone. And then the, the Nick Jackson comes off the top rope and does a flip and slams him down. Okay, uh, no, I know what I know what move you're talking about. I don't know why they call it the Meltzer Driver. I don't either. And I, oh, was, okay. I, I thought was, that I thought that's what you were expa- uh, explaining. Kind of, but the reason that do you know the reason they did such a weird Meltzer Driver in this situation? Yes. No. Okay, so I'll, this I'll, it's a long backstory. I'll try and summarize it quickly. Uh, not that we don't have time, but uh, so Dave, it's named after Meltzer, Dave Meltzer. He's the guy who gives all the ratings for all these shows and matches and so on and so forth. Uh, I think they did it as a, as a joke against, I don't want to say against Meltzer, but like just, you know, a funny haha. Like this is our thing that we do for Dave Meltzer because he's the guy who rates all these matches. Uh, I'm not sure, but they, Dave Meltzer's father passed away the, the day before. Oh uh, Yeah. So, so if you watch the, the spot itself, they do, um, they do it from the, the in ring, they do a weird chaotic flip and then they do it on the outside. So they go from the top of the in ring, uh, corner to the bottom of the floor. And it's just an insane spot. And the young bucks had tweeted before, like in honor of Dave Meltzer's father, we are going to do the craziest Meltzer driver we can do. And then you'll see that when uh, it lands, Matt turns to the camera and goes, that one was for you, Uncle Herb, or Uncle, I can't remember his name. It's Dave Meltzer's father, who they oh. called Uncle. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that is one of, once again, one of the one reasons I love wrestling is like there are so many random emotions that some mostly we know about, but sometimes we don't. Um, so that was cool that the young bucks did such a crazy spot and it had nothing to do with themselves. It had nothing to do with the match. It was strictly a tribute to Dave Meltzer's father who had passed away the night before. And uh, <laughs> I, I love stuff like that. I, I, I didn't like cry, but I was tearing up a little bit. I was like, Oh my gosh, the fact that they pulled that off and like straight up turned to the camera and said why they did it. I, I just thought it was fantastic. So that was one moment I definitely wrote down. Um, and because I knew the backstory of it, I was like, okay, I, I love this moment. I love wrestling. So there you go. That's my one big moment. The match itself well, was I'm amazing. Why did you enlighten me on that? I, uh, I'm actually, I'm going to go back and watch that and see it for myself then knowing what the background is. Yep. It's, uh, it was on Bleacher Report and stuff like that. Um, they're cool guys, young bucks in person, very down, very genuine, sincere guys. I gotta be honest. I, I'm still not super keen on their personas. Sometimes they annoy me more than I'm entertained by them. But their in in ring work is fantastic, and just you know when they're not portraying their wrestling personas, they are two very very chill guys. It seems. 
Yeah, I don't know if you ever watched Being the Elite on YouTube. Uh huh. But yeah, the like yeah, you you can tell from those videos alone that they just love professional wrestling. Yeah. They are fans before anything else, and they appreciate what they're doing and the fact that they get paid money to travel the world and wrestle and do crazy spots and flips. They're they're spot monkeys, as the Hardys would call them back in the TNA days. Um, but I. I go back and forth with their matches because sometimes it feels like, all right, you're doing way too much. Like <laughs> there's no psychology. There's no ring uh, awareness. There's nothing here, but it always times out and looks so good. And I can't be upset. The fact that they're really good at what they do. So, right. uh, yeah, but this match also, uh, was the end of Rapungi vice. Right. Which I, I don't know a lot about Rapungi vice. I've watched a few ROH specials with them in it. And I thought they're really good. Uh, I, I know Trent Beretta, or Beretta as he goes by now. I knew him in WWE Developmental. And the big story with him was, supposedly, John Cena did not like the fact that he was doing a finisher similar to the uh, attitude adjustment. So he told him to change it. And then he got real sour about that. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to be in WWE anymore. I hate this place. And I'm sure there was more built up to that. It wasn't just, you know, John Cena said one thing or even if that happened or not, who knows? But yeah, I, I know Beretta as like the sour guy who left WWE, but in ROH to new Japan, the dude is good. The dude's fantastic. Him and Rocky Romero have a great thing going. I'm kind of sad that it's over. Me too. Uh, they were a great tag team. Um, but Beretta's Beretta's young. He's only 30. Um, He's a great singles worker on his own. He did great with Rocky Romero, so he works great in a tag team, but he's also great in singles competition. And it seems like the whole purpose for their breakup is for Beretta to go to the heavyweight um, ranks of New Japan. So, hey, I mean, if he's one of those uh, North American stars that they want to push then to you know, be feuding with Naito, Tanahashi, Okada, um, Bullet Club, that's, that's not a bad avenue either. He'll be great up there, I think. And I don't know if you know this, but what is the classes for New Japan? Like, what are the weight restrictions here? Because they obviously have junior heavyweight and then they have heavyweight. Um, I got to be honest. I don't know for sure if there's like a number restriction. I always looked at like those junior um, championships almost as more of like a rookie, like like a rookie or young guys kind of championship. And I could be wrong about that. Um, <laughs> as far as the other championships go, there's no weight limit. The The Never Championship was initially designed to be like a young, uh, like a young wrestler's championship. And then that just that idea kind of bombed out and it co- kind of became a like like a fake hardcore championship. Intercontinental Championship is whoever. Tag Team Championship is whoever. The U.S. Championship now is whoever. Um, so I, I, I don't think they really look at it that way, especially because, you know, more, especially more so than any Western promotion over in Japan, the very few guys are that Hulk Hogan, macho man, ultimate warrior, um, physique. The guys have more lean, more fit, more cut, more believable physiques over there. So you don't see a lot of these just jacked six foot uh, six foot five monsters like like a bad luck folly for example he's he's an anomaly over there he's a rarity most guys are shaped more so like omega like beretta like okada like naito 
that that kind of that kind of body shape. I was gonna say Ishii. He's one of the few guys who looks like he's I don't want to say out of shape, but he's bigger. He's got a little bit of a gut to him, but he's not like massive. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot more guys like that where they're either super cut like Omega and Okada, and they just look like they're athletes, or they're Ishii who looks like a uh, a stereotypical wrestler almost, <laughs> uh, but not like super out of shape. It's it's a very different feel, like you said. Uh, there's no super larger than life, jacked up to the gills personas, as far as like you said, Hogan, Macho Man, um, people like that. And I love it. I think the fact that they have nothing but athletes is fantastic. Because it they, is, it's all very believable. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. We have we have a lot of things that look like it's uh, supposed to happen the way it does. So. Um, yeah. Uh, so bullet club or sorry, no young bucks, Rapungi vice, young bucks retain their titles. Rapungi vice, no more. Beretta's going to go on to the heavyweights. Yeah. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, took we, on we, Billy. we can talk this one. This is worth it. Okay. Yep. T- Tanahashi versus Billy Gunn for the intercontinental championship. Uh, Billy Gunn still got it. I don't he does. Think, I don't think he's bad in the ring. I know he's old as dirt, but he's pretty good still. Yeah, the guy's fifty-two years old, I believe. Sorry. Oh, I'm. I'm sorry. He's fifty-three actually. And is that granted, your final answer? what's that? Is that your final answer? Okay. It is my final answer. I just Wikipedia it to oh, be absolutely son of a gun. I know. Um, but and granted, this wasn't a phenomenal match. Um, no matter what kind of standard you're looking at it by, but it was a good match. I mean, you know, he Billy Gunn held his own in there. And here's here's the thing too: Hiroshi Tanahashi isn't exactly a spring chicken either. He's pushing forty, wow. and he is, and yeah, he's you know he's been a huge star over in New Japan for years. The the guy has had some fantastic matches, huge wars. So to see both of these guys, like I said, a combined almost 72, 73 years old. Them two putting on the match that they did, it's impressive. It may not be it, it may not be memorable, but it's impressive. It was very impressive. I the one thing I wrote here was uh one of the great power things from Billy Gunn. He did the uh crap, what I can't think of the move. Is it that tilt a whirl slam? There you go, thank you. <laughs> I knew you were here for a reason. I know exactly I know exactly what you're talking about. He did a fantastic slam there, and I he, he, it's a movie's done forever. It's not something new, but like the way that he hits that and it's just so powerful looking. And the fact that, like you said, Billy Gunn's 53, Tanahashi's 40, close to whatever. Uh, that the fact that they're still putting on matches, like it's not, you know, it's not going to be a six star match. It's not probably not even going to be like a four star match. No, <laughs> but this was the match before the main event. And yeah. there was a big opportunity to lose the crowd. Probably. You know what I like? They they do this in WWE a lot, where they'll put like right. uh, I'm trying to think of the last SmackDown pay per view. Uh, it was uh, was Backlash. I can't remember. It doesn't matter what it was. <laughs> the point is they had the Ascension take on Tyler Breeze and Fandango before the main event, and yeah. it's a great opportunity to lose the crowd because they're like, oh, this is funny. It's not going to necessarily get me hyped for a main event. You know, big brawl. This match could have done that, and it didn't. They sustained the crowd. They were hot for Tanahashi at some points, and then they were hot for Gunn at some points. But then Billy Gunn's also still getting, like, heel heat. I, it was a good match, and I'm, I'm thankful that Billy Gunn is still doing stuff because he's still got it, and he's still pretty darn good. 
The only thing I didn't like was the uh, pull down the tights. Yes, the butt. Sorry, the moment. (laughs) That just that that flashbacks of WWE didn't like it. It was it was weird. I'm not sure that it was necessary. So that's my big criticism. Like it was funny. And you got people talking on Twitter and Facebook and stuff, but like, I, uh, we don't uh, need it. Tanahashi deserves way better than that. Yeah. So I would assume he agreed to do that. I don't know. I don't know if Tanahashi knew that was coming. I have no idea myself. Yeah. But uh, meh, eh, eh, he'll survive. <laughs> He's the I, 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 yeah. I, th- I don't think it'll uh, tarnish his reputation too bad. If anything, maybe the ladies will love it. I don't know. Yeah, he's got a nice butt. I'll just I'll throw it out there. I'll throw it out there. I'm I'm not I'm completely comfortable saying it. Billy Gunn used to be the ass man, so maybe that's what they're they're referencing. I don't know. Um, He had one of the best Titan Trons of all time. Oh, easily. The the reason why I remember it so vividly is because to this day I still play WWF WWF No Mercy on the N64. Yes. And he was around back then, and what um, the 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 part of the game I play the most is the create a wrestler mode. I mean, for years, me, my older brother, and my old my one older cousin, we have we have made dozens upon dozens of our own wrestlers, and we try to make the just the most outrageous personas possible. And one of the best themes in that game is I'm an ass man. Uh, <laughs> yes. That is so good. Yeah, that the fact that Billy Gunn has done so many different reincarnations and his shirt, his shirt was fantastic as well. I believe, and I could be wrong, it was like a Bullet Club shirt, but it had the DX logo over it. It was, it was weird. Honestly, I couldn't tell what it was, what it was at the time, but that that actually might be right. I I think it was like that the DX. Right. The DXX like breaking through it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell what it was, but that that you know, as I'm picturing it now, that kind of makes sense. So even that little thing is just like a call to you know screw the Bullet Club. They're stealing our shtick almost, and and then he goes in and wrestles a decent match for. How long do you think this match went? Um, well, I can't really guess because I'm looking at the time. You as a gun. <laughs> I've got yeah, I've got the Wikipedia page pulled up for it. <laughs> Well, great minds think alike, because so do I. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, the fact that this went 14 minutes was the third longest match of the night after the main event and the IWGP oh God, right. Junior Heavyweights. Yeah. It was the third longest match of the night. It went longer than Omega and Lethal. It went longer than Ishii and Sabre Jr. And it went longer than the Bullet Club. Uh, uh, I don't know what the other team is. Briscoe, Okada, Osprey. Uh, it went longer than that eight-man tag match. So they gave him time, and they filled it, and it was great. So can't be can't be mad at Billy Gunn and Tanahashi for putting on a decent match. Could have been worse. Could have been, been worse. worse. <laughs> and then we go to the main events. Kenny Omega and Tomohiro Ishii for the first ever IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. Uh, wow. Again. Yeah. Again, we, we, we've, we've said wow quite a few times and it doesn't get old because this was another fantastic match. Once again, the physicality of this match, just son of a gun. I can't believe that these guys are not dead and just like lying in a grave ready to never wrestle again because it was insane. Some of the spots these guys can pull off. I 
can't believe that New Japan lets them do this sometimes. Maybe that's because they're so good at what they do, and I'm just – I don't see this very much in WWE. But, man, Kenny Omega with those knees, and Ishii didn't flinch sometimes. It was so good. Oh, man. Strong style existed long before Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah. Uh, WWE fans are going to learn that if they start watching New Japan. Which they should because it's good. Darn right. It's getting so good. Um, this was 31 minutes long, and it did not feel like 31 minutes. It felt long, but not that long. And I, once again, that's just a testament to how good Omega and Ishii are. I thought this was the perfect way to end the entire special because it was fantastic. It, you know, nobody ever asked for a Tomohiro Ishii and Kenny Omega feud. After Omega's match at Wrestle Kingdom with Okada, nobody would have seen it coming that these two would have three matches together throughout the year, and every single match was great. Like It was such an unexpected subtle feud between the two of them, but it was such a uh, pleasant surprise because you, like I said earlier, Tomohiro Ishii, any match with him just looks painful. But when he gets in the ring with Omega, they both seem to just kick it up a notch. And I've watched all three of their matches from this year. I watched the match where Ishii upset Kenny Omega in the, um, in the Japan tournament in the first round. I watched their rematch at Wrestling Dontaku where Kenny Omega even the score. And then this match last night, their their trilogy match, just another amazing, amazing contest between the two of them. They bring it. I don't know why they bring out. The, it seems that they bring out the best in each other in a way similar to Okada and Omega bringing out the best in each other. But damn, what a match. Has Omega ever had a bad match? I just got to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that's a question that I see. It, like that's like the hyperbole question that pe- that fans say when they want to, you know, compliment. It's like, hey, has Kenny Omega really ever been in a bad match? And you know what? It may not be hyperbole. It might be a, it might be a legitimate question because if if there is one, I haven't seen it yet. He he's just kind of this guy that seems to have, for me, because I didn't watch New Japan all that much until recently. I didn't watch ROH all that much until recently. I I watched it a little bit back in the day with. Uh, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and Joe and Aries and all them. Uh, but Omega just kind of, for me, came out of nowhere. Like, uh, obviously, he's been good for a long time because people know of him. But the whole six-star match kind of set me up with him. And I'm like, all right, let's check this out. And it can't be six stars. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and then next thing you know, it's like, all right, let's watch some more Kenny Omega stuff. Oh, okay, this guy's been good for a long damn time. And he just continues to impress no matter what he does. And it's uh, the thing I love about him is it's never the same match twice. The knees happen a lot. Obviously, the one-winged angel is going to happen. It's his finisher. Um, he's got his signature hit stuff that he does. But, like, he, the table spot with Hishi. Yeah, all I, that dragon suplex. Oh, God. Oh, how is he not dead? How are I? Yeah, either of them. Because Omega took just as much of that as Ishii did. And the way they sold it, like, he was pulling him down in a German suplex-style position. And I was like, all right, he's not going to get him. Like, there's going to be some sort of counter. Ishii then bites the ropes to stay on, like, the, the apron. And that, that was, was Honestly, I think that was an even better moment than the suplex itself because that's just such a ridiculous spot. And yet, that's Ishii's character. I mean, if any wrestler would bite the rope to stop a German suplex, it's Tomohiro Ishii. And it worked. 
worked because in the end they did hit the move. They didn't tease it and then tease it and then tease it and then tease it and then not hit it, which I feel like happens a lot in WWE. They just like to tease you to the point where you get upset. Uh, no, he hit the move. <laughs> Someone went through that damn table, and it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, this match was just so good. I can't, I can't fathom the fact that New Japan has such a superstar in Kenny Omega, and that he still has yet to go to WWE. Like, you, it's we, gotta we happen. We've done it before, but similar to Okada. You know, Kenny Omega just loves the company that he's in. And beyond that, he loves Japanese culture. He'll tell you he's a giant otaku. The guy loves Japanese video games. He's a huge anime fan. Um, he, he speaks fluent Japanese. He's one of the very few Western wrestlers who's ever been allowed to do a, a promo in Japanese over there. That's very, very rare. I don't think I don't know if there's any ever been anyone else in New Japan's history who has done that. So... I mean, if you talk about a talent who is absolutely perfect at being embraced by both Japanese and North American fans, it's Kenny Omega. There's there's no better there's 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 no better um, no better possibility. Like you couldn't have asked for a better guy to have on your roster in new if you're New Japan. The fact that his contract was up earlier this year after the six star match, and everyone kind of concluded like. He's going to be in the Rumble. He's going to go right. to WWE. He'll be at Mania. Like, it's clear. Like, it's just time. He's he's done his thing. He proved that he is good enough to get to WWE. He's going to go. And then he stayed, and then he still continues to put on these fantastic matches. I, uh, I love the fact that there's something outside of WWE because uh, it sucks when it's the only game in town, and that's all you've got. Um, as we discussed, New Japan's going to kind of expand. They love the outcome of the G1 special and the fact that so many Americans were uh, in, in favor of what happened, that they're going right. to keep this going. Uh, and I think that's great because I think new Japan could truly bring back like wrestling quote unquote. Uh, right now it just feels like WWE is kind of, I don't say packing it in, but they're clearly all about money as far as their decisions New Japan, it doesn't feel like they're all about money. It feels like they're all about putting on good shows still. So, uh, I Kenny Omega, your first ever United States IWGP heavyweight champion. And I think uh, what a perfect guy, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, it, and it's all, you know, really, this is all thanks to the Internet age because before you wouldn't. I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have the opportunity to watch New Japan without the internet, without being able to subscribe to uh, New Japan World. The, the that six star match between Kenny Omega and Okada back in January, that's what got this all started. And I guarantee you, far more people who have watched that match and are now interested in New Japan watched that match after the fact as opposed to watching it live. It was the hype and all of the talk following the match that got people into the promotion. Yeah, I, the reason why they were able to watch it is because they went on YouTube. You know, they 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 hopped on a stream or something like that. And years ago, you wouldn't have been able to do this. You only a very very few select people would have you know had the opportunity to watch that. Whether it was through you know finding tapes, you know on on, on you know a just offshoot website, you know VHSs. Um, but now with the internet age, with me being able to watch this, I mean, I could watch on my phone if I wanted to. So that ability to literally watch whatever you want on the go, regardless of what device you have, that makes it so that an international company can have a presence 
here in America, North America, uh, whatever territory you're talking about. Yeah, that whole uh, push after the six-star match was phenomenal. I mean, it was on Reddit, and that's how I first heard about it. And then it became like a news story for a lot of weird media outlets. Bleacher Report, ESPN even had a thing on it. And then I was like, all right, let's get in on this. And it was on YouTube, so I found it on YouTube. And it's like, okay, New Japan's got more than just a six-star match. You start watching, it's like, these guys have a completely different style to WWE, and they're they're over. Like, those Tokyo Domes are packed when they do those specials. Uh, this Long Beach, California was sold out. It wasn't, you know, tens of thousands of people. It was 2,300, but still, like, the this place was packed. The crowd was hot. People loved it. And here's to hoping that New Japan keeps growing, especially since they've got that uh, partnership with ROH to some extent. It, it could be a thing where we've got like a super collaboration that I don't think they're going to challenge WWE anytime soon, but down the road, down the road, maybe I could see this becoming a, a completely different promotion in like a year or two that has such success in the United States that we're seeing it on mainstream channels here on our television. They're going to find a very comfortable, very sizable niche for themselves. I agree. I don't I don't see them ever surpassing WWE. I don't see a new Monday Night Wars ever being in the future, but they're definitely going to find a, a fair audience for themselves here in North America and maybe even in um, parts of Europe too, you know, if they push guys like Zack Sabre and if they over in Europe, uh, Britain especially, they really appreciate a hard-hitting more realistic um, in-ring approach. So I, I think New Japan has a very bright future ahead of it. And that's that's amazing because a few years ago, they were in some very um, dire financial straits from what I understand. Um, there were you know, a lot, not a lot of promise for the company years ago. They had broken away from Antonio Inoki, who is, I mean, like basically is Hulk Hogan to Japanese fans, the way that Hulk Hogan is to North American wrestling fans. They were in trouble for a long time there. And there was, there were some doubts as to whether or not they even had a future. Then Hiroshi Tanahashi comes along and carries the company for several years. Now you got Okada doing that for his native Japan, but now you've got some of these international wrestlers like an Omega, like a, uh, like a Zack Sabre Jr. Or like most of the bullet club, uh, they're. I, I think they're. I think they're going to do very well for the future. Like I said, you know, you know they're not going to take out WWE anytime soon. I don't see that ever being the case. But they are going to find a sizable audience for themselves, and they are going to continue expanding and continue being a, a very solid uh, promotion. As far as Omega, because I want to expand on this slightly, uh, he is the first ever U.S. IWGP champion. Do you think they gave this to him because they didn't give him the title earlier this year against Okada? Like, I feel like they didn't have him beat Okada strictly because they were worried about the contract thing. Now that his contract's kind of, uh, I don't want to say set in stone, I don't know his contract, but it's more, uh, uh, less, what's the word I'm looking for? It's Guaranteed? There you go. It's more, it's less of a concern that he's leaving. Let's put it that yeah. way. Uh, so they give him this title. I don't know what this title means <laughs> in terms of like ranking. Obviously it's not the main belt, but it's, it doesn't feel like a mid card belt. Like it does in WWE. It feels like it's almost one a so far. So why, why go with Omega is my question. They could have gone with Ishii. They could have gone with Saber jr. They could have gone with lethal. They could have built someone else a little bit more. Omega doesn't need that belt. 
he, no. he he's gonna face Okada again. Yep. So someone what? could become like a dual champion in the next time that those guys face each other. I, I guess I just don't get the idea that they didn't build someone else here. Well, I mean, for one thing, you know, it's funny. Kenny Omega isn't even American. He's Canadian. Uh, <laughs> That's true. So there's, that, there's that humorous tidbit to it. Um, I think there's a lot of factors that play into it. I think just his overall work, they want to reward him. Um, they may have re- wanted to reward him for staying loyal to the company. Last year, literally mere hours after Wrestle Kingdom in 2016, you have Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles, two of the biggest stars in the company at that time, announced that they're leaving for WWE. So I think they appreciate seeing someone like Kenny Omega, who um, almost, or not single-handedly, but together with Okada, helped expand their audience simply through that six-star match at Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome uh, January of this year. Uh, I think they wanted to you know, show their appreciation for, hey, thanks for, thanks for sticking with us. Thank you for... Uh, continuing to help us grow and similar to that i think they want to have him front and center for whenever they do any more north american shows they do a show in canada they want him having a belt and being in the main event if they do another show in america i think they want him main eventing with a championship belt it just it means more when you can have your main event guy you know hold a strap yeah and i'm sitting here watching some of the crowd and there's a lot of bullet club shirts. There's a lot of Kenny, the cleaner shirts. There's a lot of young buck shirts. Like the, the, the whole bullet club faction is so over right now. And it's just a testament to how good those guys are as the villain. I've seen a lot of Marty Skrull bullet club shirts that there's just so much hype and promotion behind those guys. It would kind of be silly not to, not to keep pushing them the way they are. Yep. I mean, you talk internationally, Kenny Omega is New Japan's biggest star. I know Okada is probably their best in-ring talent. I know Okada is their champion. I know Okada is their homegrown um, face over in Japan. But if you talk globally, Kenny Omega is their biggest star. More people know Kenny Omega here in North America and Europe than they know Okada. And I think it's just a matter of time before he holds the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. He hasn't held it, has he? No, he has been Intercontinental Champion before over there. And try, I, I think he may have held the Never Championship at one point. Don't quote me on that. Um, but he has never held the the main strap. And it's it's got to happen sooner rather than later. I mean, that guy, he is so over. Even in Japan, like you said, he's delivering Japanese promos. It's it's so good. So yeah. if, if New Japan is serious about expanding internationally, which they have said they're committed to, that's that's one way to do it. You, you you put the belt on Kenny Omega, and uh, you make some dollars. Let me just say it. Let me just put it like that. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. So there you have it, Kenny Omega, your first U.S. IWGP Heavyweight Champion, uh, and that's the G1 Special. There was a lot of uh, four four versus four, five versus five tag team matches. You should definitely go back and watch them. Uh, but like we said, there's there's not a whole lot to discuss on our end as far as moving on through the show. So. Um, definitely go watch the new Japan G1 special. Uh, I'm not going to tell you to steal from YouTube, but a lot of the matches are on YouTube. If you haven't, and I think I'm going to do this pretty soon. Uh, what's the new Japan streaming service called? You're going to go to new Japan world. It is going to be njpwworld.com. Um, you'll have to translate it. Although most web browsers have the automatic translation option. 
Um, so you translate it to, uh, Japanese to English. You can sign up for it after the currency exchange. It is less than $10 a month, and I highly recommend it. I do not read Japanese very fluently, but I was able to figure it out with, um, without any difficulty. They just take it on my bank account every month, and I have never been happier subscribing to a wrestling promotion like this. Everything I've watched so far has been fantastic, and I am now a New Japan fan for life. There you go. So definitely sign up for that if you haven't already. Uh, definitely go to thegeekiverse.com. You're going to sign up for all our social media. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We've got a YouTube channel. Jeff, you yourself just wrote a great Breath of the Wild uh uh, I don't want to say story. You wrote a great article on Breath of the Wild and the DLC that came out with that. Um, I read most of it. I try not to read too much of it because I still haven't played the game. But yeah, you need to work on that. <laughs> I'm, it's a I'm struggling. Game. It's a lovely game. It's a lovely game. So definitely check that out. Pavlock, where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Pavs and on Instagram just Jeff Pavlock. There you go. I'm at Austin J Bruner. Uh, on pretty much everything, so find me there. Pav, it was great talking to you, man. Let's do it again uh, pretty soon. Yeah. I, I know yeah. We, want, we discussed doing uh, Great Balls of Fire and the uh, uh, the aftermath of that. Oh, my God. It's a dumb pay-per-view name, I know. I, I can't change it. I'm not, I'm not with I, WWE. I know, I know it's not your fault. I, I, yeah. But it's okay, because, look, we got Great Balls of Fire. We got SummerSlam coming up. We got the G1 Climax Tournament starting up in New Japan. So we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about. Over and under the amount of times that Michael Cole says, goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I'm putting the estimate at four. Over or under? Um, I'm going to go with eight. I'm going to double that, actually. So you're going over. Well, well, here's the thing. Is it going to be more or less than the times that he plugged that uh, the WWE Network was launching in India the night that Jinder Mahal won the title? Oh, my gosh. I can't. And that's what I mean. There's, okay, that's going to be a whole other rant. We're going to be here all night. Pavlok, you got me riled up, man. Look, we're, we're pushing an hour 30. I was hoping for us to go the full 90 minutes. The full 90? We're at an hour 15. Come on, guy. Okay, my bad, my I've bad. The, I've got the counter right in front of me. Come on. I'm sorry. I was looking at from when we started talking even before we recorded. My bad. All right, here, here's how we'll end it. Great balls of fire, because I'm going to put this up pretty quick. <laughs> Great balls of fire. Uh, Joe versus Brock Lesnar. Who you got? You know what? I'm going to say Joe. Oh, my gosh. All right, this might go an hour 30. You got to give me some details. Why do you think of Joe? I, dude, I don't know. I, I just... I'm more so saying it because I hope, because I hate the <laughs> idea of the champion being part-time. I like Joe so much better than Brock. I'm sick of Brock. I'm sick of WWE forcing him down fans' throats. I just want Joe to win, to maybe have some shred of satisfaction with WWE. Yeah. Uh, I think Joe could make sense if they do it right. Um, the only problem is I don't think they want Brock to lose until Roman beats him. Yeah, I'll be honest. I actually don't think Joe's going to win. I really want Joe to win, and I'm just saying that for you know the hell of it. But it, if you put a gun to my head and tell me who's going to win, I'm going to say Brock. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But uh, I, I'm picking Brock. But if Joe wins, I will be so ecstatic because that dude, uh, ESPN did a great article on him, and it encompasses his 17 years before he came to WWE and like how this is so sweet that he's in a main event championship match for him. So definitely check that out. Uh, I'm going to plug something real quick on my own. 
the Kevin Owens DVD is coming out. Uh, actually, it is out. It's coming out to me because, for whatever reason, I pre-ordered it on Amazon, and now it's taking like a week and a half to get here, and I'm mildly upset. So when that happens, I will I have a review. I hope you got free shipping on that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, good. You know how I got it? Amazon Prime? Yes, but I went to... Oh, the, oh, oh, do you mean there you the... Go. You mean our links on the Geekiverse, where if you click and purchase from Amazon, you make a small contribution to the Geekiverse, and we really appreciate it? Thegeekiverse.com slash Amazon? Yeah, probably some link like that, yeah. So we are talking about the same thing, right? <laughs> yes, yes, we okay. are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, but yeah, so when that comes out, I watched the preview on the network, and I'm I'm fascinated by this. I, I already liked Kevin Owens, uh, but the fact that I get some of the backstory – and the tease that they had at the very end there was uh, Sami Zayn got his contract before Kevin Owens. He went over to Kevin Owens' house and signed the contract in front of him because they're best friends. And that's like, hey, Pav, I got a contract with WWE to be their social media guy. I'm going to come over to your house and we're going to enjoy this moment together. Kevin Owens didn't quite take it that way. He was kind of put off by the fact that Sami signed it in front of his face. So, And then the whole thing ended. I was like, son of a gun, I got to watch the whole, the whole Wait, is that is that like the storyline or is that in real life? In real life, Sami Zayn, I I can't remember his real name off the top of my head, but yeah, uh, but, but, yeah, but wouldn't like wouldn't Owens have been legitimately happy or like? See, that's what that's that's the tease. They did a great job of teasing this. No. I, Owens was happy, but at the same time, it's like, man, like you know, that's my dream too. Why are you shoving it in my face? So I don't know. It was very. It was very weird. I, I, I saw another clip on YouTube, unfortunately, because I went down the wormhole. And when Kevin Owens won the Universal title, there was a great moment. I won't spoil for anyone, but there was a fantastic moment backstage that they show. So That uh, moment was spoiled for me already, so I know which one you're talking about. It, so, it, is, a great, it is a great moment, though. Uh, I, once again, almost in tears, damn it. Almost in tears. Yeah. Screw you, wrestling. It's still real to me. Still real to me, damn it. <laughs> All right, Pav, we went an hour and 20. I think we did a fantastic job. We're gonna have hey, we beat Okada and Omega, too. They only went an hour. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> Keep up. Uh, we're going to have great balls of fire. Uh, we're going to talk about that after it happens Sunday. So uh, for now, Jeff Pavs, man. It's great talking to you. Good to talk to you, too. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, folks. Let's get out of here.